This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my freshly, should I say, lubricated <laughs> co-host. He just took a drink. He just took a drink. We're just going straight there, are we? Okay, okay. Right, that's that's clearly going to be the level that this episode is uh, is going to start at and descend from there. It's okay. what happens when you call on Friday. <laughs> Well, happy Friday for those of you that also happen to be listening to us on a Friday and happy whatever anyway. else day for those of you that are listening on a different day. It's a very old encompassing uh, thing to say there. I have nothing to I'm, add to that at all. I'm always inclusive. Um, yeah, that's what you say, but... Back to the lubrication comments. Anyway. Let's go back to the topics at hand. And we've got a couple of uh, articles that Dave again has found on the internet. And that kind of inspired us to get some topics into this episode. So, want to go straight to the first one? Yes, let's do it. And first up, we have everybody's uh, favorite topic, legacy tech bashing. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's... It's difficult to avoid when so many so many different technologies are moving so very quickly that large organizations tend to get left behind. It's you know, new startups pop up doing new, cool, interesting, fun things, and uh, often the the larger, slower organizations are larger and slower to react. And uh, the, this article is talking about a variety of, of different uh, companies that are all going through various degrees of uh, reinvention or reinvigoration. Um, I, I, I love the fact that uh, Oracle is mentioned. Uh, and, it, of course, the, the fabulous quote from uh, Larry Ellison, uh, Ellison talking about the fact that cloud is gibberish. Um, clearly, that didn't go down particularly well. But yeah, Oracle continues to rise and rise in terms of uh, its stock price. But you've got you've got organisations like uh, HPE. They they went through some fairly sizable kind of reorgs and reshuffles and downsizing of certain business units and selling off of others. And you know, it, it's all both Cisco and and HPE have gone through a lot of. Maneuvering there to kind of position themselves to be more relevant. Mm. That, well, I say I say positioning themselves. Yeah. I didn't say they'd made themselves more relevant. <laughs> but the one that sort of springs to mind and is probably F five, which to me, you know, I think of F five as load balancers and very little else. I know they do much much more than that, but. That's that's my perception from my relatively limited knowledge. I I haven't spent a huge, you know, I haven't spent decades of my life in enterprise networking. It's as long as I have a connection, that's good enough. But they've been going through a bit of a spending spree since 2019. You know, Nginx was uh, their first acquisition in 2019. Um, Shape Security in 2020. Silverline in uh, also in 2020. I think, and uh, Voltaire in, most recently in 2021. Um, all for between, you know, half uh, half a billion to a billion dollars. So, you know, they've, they've clearly made a lot of money selling low balances over the years. Um, <laughs> That's a lot of money. 
and now they've they've spent a good chunk of money as well. But I didn't really I, hear I, any very cloudy names in there. I mean, Nginx, of course, sure, but the rest of them, Voltaire, it's it's a memory storage layer thingy. Edge network computing sounds yes, very cloudy to me. But <laughs> true, but. I mean, look at Cisco. They're looking at the hardware that powers the cloud if you want to. Yeah. Now, F5 also has some appliances. If you go into a cloud environment, you can now have a F5 appliance to be put in front of your cloud stuff. The other ones who at Cisco or Palo Alto have the same kind of stuff in there as well. So I guess that's true cloud offering for those uh, vendors. But apart from that, they're still very much doing the old stuff. Cloud is coincidental. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like I, I, I see, I see a lot more Nginx um, than I think I was previously aware of. But that could also just be um, the sort of the the bias of the the space that I'm in now, and and the the technologies that I happen to be working with more. So I don't know how much of that is is sort of just perception versus reality. I I don't really I don't really understand what many of these organizations are doing in terms of their their strategy. Like we we talked um quite a few episodes now ago I think about SUSE and their acquisition of Rancher. I mean that that's a, in me in my mind that's a similar vein of of acquisition to trying to acquire relevance uh, and I would say Rancher probably a, a better maybe acquisition than some of these others in terms of if you're looking to try and edge your way towards crowd, cloud relevance. Um, well, I mean Rancher wasn't just be making Susan more relevant it was a direct reaction to something their main competitor did. I mean Susan and Red Hat are kind of the big competitors for, for each other I think. Red Hat's been famous with uh, OpenShift uh, as a Kubernetes layer. SUSE didn't have that, so for SUSE, they had a problem. If somebody thinks Kubernetes, they will never come to us because Red Hat has a thing and we don't. So mm -hmm. that was more of a catch-up thing, which I guess is more, maybe not more intelligent, but at least more effective because it's something you know you need and you need to get it and now you have it and now you can compete and still lose perhaps, but at least you have the thing you were missing. The list you just summed up for F5 there, it's a bunch of everything and anything in there and no real guidance for it. It's more looking at, oh, this company is having success. They must be doing something we're not doing, so let's get them in here. And typically in the past, I think we can say that that kind of acquisition strategy doesn't really work very well because that's when these sometimes very promising things die a silent death or... Mm take over the original company and whatever they were doing disappeared, but that doesn't happen a lot, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, the the, the company that probably uh, is almost the, the poster child of this whole story, again, in my, in my mind at least, is IBM. Their kind of record-breaking acquisition of, of Red Hat was, you know, by, by, their, uh, by their voice, it was purely due to the uh, the desire to become you know more cloud native more cloud relevant which i i still really struggle with that decision for a couple of reasons one is that someone that i i, I work with an ex red hatter 
who for me embodies all things Red Hat, you know, left uh, Red Hat just before the acquisition, probably six or nine months before the acquisition. And what I, he's one of the people that I could not have pictured ever leaving. He's just Red Hat, you know, you cut him in half, he would literally have the, the Shadow Man logo stamped all the way through. Um, interesting, of course, that Shadow Man logo is now evolved slash gone. But anyway, um, and his 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 take on that was that Red Hat have have not actually managed to capitalize on the the cloud story, and that the future is the the cloud providers, and and that Red Hat is slowly kind of slowly edging behind um, the the other primary tier one cloud providers. So for then IBM nine months later to make that acquisition for that very reason, is that, is, so is that a, is it a good move or what, sorry, not is, was it a good move for IBM? Almost certainly, because even if Red Hat were falling behind, IBM itself was significantly further behind in terms of relevance. And so they've jumped forwards, mm -hmm. but they have they jumped forwards enough? Probably not in my, in my estimation. Well, you said that IBM bought Red Hat to become more cloud relevant. And I think there's a word too, too, too much in there, cloud. They bought Red Hat to become relevant again because IBM was leaning very hardly on their services uh, arm, which was getting punished and getting difficult things. Their hardware, their high-end hardware is still very uh, good, hot and top of the line, but very niche. Again, not something you can have a business running or surviving upon. Look at Cray, they had to also commoditize a bit more. So they looked at Red Hat for some reason. Apparently, there was some synergy going on there. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that Red Hat was also uh, receptive to that kind of offers. Um, did it work? And uh, then and now, as you said, they got more relevant. True, but have they become relevant enough that they become a player again? And I'd say they're. Maybe a player in the open source world now because with Red Hat they got a big foot mm. in a lot of projects and a lot of things there. Mm. But as you said, the cloud providers have kind of relegated OSs to status of commodity. They're a, a yeah. part of the recipe to make a cloud thing work. And if it's Red Hat or something else, basically, if I look at my past when I was working in Azure and even today with, with my current employment, People go to a cloud and then just take whatever the Linux OS is available there. And if that's CentOS, that's CentOS. It's Red Hat, it's Red Hat. The idea of having a subscription, a license for support on your operating system, when the operating system is running in the cloud, I'd say that has less value these days because you basically kind of put it on the cloud provider to have an image of that OS that runs well on the, on the hardware. That's the AMs on uh, Amazon, the, the the marketplace on on Azure. Basically, do I still need an OS license? And in that case, what's the value, purely monetary value of the Red Hat mm. component? But uh, so I think you are, I think you're somewhat falling into two traps. One oh. is the trap of. Um, still viewing Red Hat as an OS company 
they they haven't really been purely an OS company for a very long time. They make significant revenue from their their middleware arm. You know, previously uh, previously known as as J or previously focused around JBoss, but that has expanded massively. They also have a pretty sizable. Um, stream of revenue through all things OpenShift and Open and OpenShift mm-hmm. related. So I, I think it's a little bit disingenuous to just think of them as an OS company nowadays. Um, well, but they don't the, exist anymore. But, so well, no. Let, let, let me finish. Let me finish because <laughs> my my point is though that that's your sort of perception of them in in some in some ways. And if that's your perception, like how many other people still view them as that Linux OS vendor? And my my uh, understanding from many discussions that I have with people is a heck of a lot of people still yeah. view them as the OS vendor. I think more and more even because JBoss uh, used to be, I mean, if you did anything with, uh, with Java, you had JBoss at the end. That was the de facto framework. These days, both Java has less uh, following. I mean, it's still a very important part and a lot of stuff still written in Java, but most people think Java is a, well, uh, maybe exaggerated, but think Java is a bad thing because it's heavy, it's big, it's bloated. Uh, the people are going to Rust and Go and even Ruby, although Ruby is also on the, the wavefront. And again, <laughs> the next step is already here as well with the web front ends. People don't really care anymore about language you're writing. It's the web front end that's important. The Angular, the, yes, uh, the, the, the that kind of stuff. So JBoss, mm. in I must say, the recent year or years haven't really come up that much. And it still comes up, but it's, this, it's not that thing that everybody's using anymore. For the OpenShift part, I, I'd agree. That's still a very big yeah. component. But I also wonder how much of that is the space that we're in. Like, uh, my, my, my perception of markets and of technology and of so many things is very much driven by where I spend the most time and you know in my current role position company employment call it what you like I spend a lot of time in a certain kind of area and I think that I I often refer this to this as like the reality distortion bubble Mm -hmm. when you're in a particular space your worldview tends to coalesce around that. And I suppose not not to to switch gears a little bit, I, I mentioned that you, I think you're falling into two traps. Yeah. So that was the first one. I think the second one is it's very easy to bash IBM as being not relevant. But I do still think there is a... The, the old joke of no one ever got fired by buying IBM is still a pretty sizable um is pre- still a pretty sizable rust is appearing on that thing one thing that exists it, it still exists definitely but um again recent past perhaps uh, things i see a lot more companies moving away from maybe ibm towards mm. the cloud potentially but not always mm-hmm. and companies moving to ibm so, mm. I mean, again, it's also, IBM still has that image, but the, again, distortion reality bubble, definitely yeah, yeah, there. Yeah. But for me, it still has that image of having a very monolithical approach of things. 
you you don't buy a product, you buy IBM. And at that point, a bit like Apple, you kind of fenced wall and you have you're to in the ecosystem stay in the ecosystem. You, if you, you step outside, and, you're done. Which is yeah. totally contrary to what current um, yeah. the current hippies of technology <laughs> are, 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 are talking about is the microservices, the flexibility, the, the hybrid approach and things like that. And as long for me, and again, my distortion bubble, as long as IBM stays in that monolithical approach, which they haven't broken with the Red Hat uh, acquisition, I think. Correct. As long as they stay in there, I mean, they just took something that had its own, maybe not walled, but at least uh, fenced garden. Red Hat also has an ecosystem mm -hmm. around it, put it in their mm -hmm. garden, and now it's been encapsulated. And we've had, had an, an episode on the changes of the Red Hat uh, licensing schemes uh, and, and CentOS, how that's been changed in the past already. So we also see that Red Hat is getting more fenced in, perhaps. Listen to the other episode, Maybe. we get more depth Maybe. on that. So again, yeah. does the change their relevance-ness? I, I mean, I still think IBM is an absolutely huge player in this space. And I think it's... Definitely. I just think it's a little bit of a, uh, it's a little bit disingenuous to just write them off entirely. Nope. But I would also say that, you know, even in this this article, it refers to the fact that fourth quarter twenty twenty shows six percent drop in revenue year on year for IBM. So it's not it's not sort of cut and dry that uh, you know everything is always growing all the time. It's it, and you know, acquire, acquiring, uh, you know, something like, like Red Hat, you would hope would have re-energized that. But mm -hmm. if it, like, it may well have, you know, improved things on a gradient, but if things are going down on a steeper gradient, all you're doing is like course correcting a little bit and mm -hmm. still heading down. I, I I know nothing about the the details of of IBM's internals, and you know it's not really something I fancy spending a, a good de degree of time on their financial analysis. But I think it's it's a it's a curious this whole idea. And in fact, you called it out when you when you looked at the article initially. What we've been talking about for the past however many however many minutes is basically uh, cloud washing but a different level of cloud washing. Cloud washing at the, I'll just acquire a cloudy sounding, cloudy smelling, cloudy tasting company. Cloudy and smelling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a fresh airy smell. Um, but like I'll acquire one of these companies and it'll make my, my organization relevant again. And we know that cloud washing doesn't work at a, a product level, it's a terrible idea same as AI washing and anything else. If you're not adding real value to something, it's not just washing, it's real tangible value, then you're not gonna you're not gonna succeed. And it's the same in this space. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same in this space in my mind. If you're not if if that investment is not then you know it's always going to be a struggle when companies make acquisitions because you've got a you don't want to smother and kill the very thing that you've just acquired like the whole point you make that acquisition is because it has some value oh you're and, disqualifying a competition okay yeah there, there is the acquisition <laughs> to extinguish sure but let's 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 think about the positive side of things usually <laughs> usually companies are trying to acquire 
to because they think there is some value in the thing that that thing does and you want to in an ideal world and again my personal opinion you would want to acquire that organization and learn from it integrate it into your you know company's dna moving forward but he's talking about synergy you, here folks synergy maybe maybe synergy <laughs> but <laughs> but if you if you do that you also risk killing that very thing that you've just acquired if you can't if you can't integrate that that those two organizations dna in a way that is productive and synergistic here we go um for both for, for like the new entity moving forwards then i don't i don't see yeah, what the point was i like just like great you've acquired a company you can do the ibm thing where you can say we're not going to change that company uh like they said with red hat we're not going to change red hat we're not going to uh change the way it operates it's going to operate as its standalone business unit i mean there is an element of that from people that i talk to within red hat there is certainly a very strong element of that but there is also the inevitable motion of you are part of ibm and therefore you you can't but help but there being blue tendrils kind of creeping in and that, that's kind of portraying it very nefariously but it's just that's the way that organizations be. work i mean what's the use of buying something and then saying we're going to treat it completely separate then why exactly. the hell did you buy them in the first place exactly my you, point the exactly only reason to point. acquire something to make yourself stronger is you actually integrate put themselves together make something better out of it so the moment yep. when it doesn't matter for the ibm for any acquisition when i hear that thing we kind of keep it separate either it's because um the company you just bought was suffering going out of business and you kind of gave them a bit of cash so they can continue another under my umbrella or you're one of those huge uh conglomerates in the world i mean if you look at uh i don't know uh, lg has a bunch of different things beneath itself uh sony's going to start making cars they're not going to integrate cars with phones i mean they put phones and cars that's possibly but those will have separate things because they're so big True, Paul. But the IBM thing, the Red Hat thing, the only way you get more performance out of that is by creating the synergy that you need by actually mashing them together and making yeah. one help the other. I agree. Just, I agree. I mean, if, if you don't do that, I mean, even in the software world, uh, people look on my LinkedIn, you'll find out where I work, and then you maybe, if I've, if I've talked to you before, you've heard it from me before. But integrating comp uh, new comp components into your interior stack, that makes the stack better. If you just bolt it on and have translators in the between, it makes everything slower, harder to maintain, harder to upgrade. Yep. And yeah, I mean, again, take a look. I'm not going <laughs> to say more about that. Synergy, it's a bit of a buzzword. It's a mark. I hate the word in marketing terms, but it does come from somewhere and it does have value. It really does. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. Well, Let's move on to our final uh, our final topic for the day, which is I was trying to work out where on earth the relevance of the logo was, and then I decided to stop, or the picture was, but I decided to stop. But this is a um, a Silicon UK article, uh, Silicon.co.uk article uh, titled "Hyper Automation is Dead." Uh, no, sorry. Automation is dead. Ah. Welcome to <laughs> hyper automation. Dave was already in the future here, but the next step, yeah. the thing. But let's stay in the present. And 
I I originally picked this because I just thought, oh God, it's yet more buzzword. Let's just put hyper on the front of something <laughs> and then like big it up as being the new the new hotness. But uh, you know, Jan Jan actually persuaded me that this might be something real. Um, yeah, I, well, it's not real, but it's definitely something that people are working on or being, being interested in the film. And the idea behind the article is that uh, automation is kind of the thing that uh, Mr. Ford invented with the assembly line. You automate things, but automation does the same thing repetitively, which typically robots do a better job at than humans, which are fickle and feeble and get sick and need to eat. <laughs> yeah, behind I have hyper uh, unless you're unless you're an Amazon warehouse employee in which case no eating no bathroom breaks <sighs> not going to that one with the hyper automation <laughs> aspect here is where the automation becomes intelligent where you don't do the assembly line but actually have robotics automation stuff and now we can use the fantastic word AI because you AIFI hey I coined a new term <laughs> That's a terrible term. <laughs> you try writing it. Anyway, you start to put AI and machine learning and stuff on that on your automation lanes to make these automations more in flexible, more intelligent, more being able to do more, more, more. And when I read this article, my first reaction was to think about Tesla. Because mm -hmm. Elon Musk was famously talking when he was building his first Tesla factories, how there would be no or minimal present uh, human presence in those factories and everything would be automated and it would be super and great and perfect and everything. After many, many troubles and uh, bad uh, fiscal resu results and the stock exchange kind of hitting him on the head or at least the investors hitting him on the head, he actually relented and allowed more humans just manually putting it together as the original Ford uh, conveyor belt was working. And it worked better. And on the one hand, I think it was a great idea of him to try and do this. And I'm just, I'm not picking on Elon Musk here. I mean, person outside, there's other people, there are other parts of the world doing this, trying to do the same thing. It's good to try this. But the thing is that AIification, I'm going to keep using it. <laughs> It's not there yet. AI doesn't exist. I mean, we're not even remotely close to AI. Machine learning is not intelligent. It's statistics. A bit more complicated. Neural nets are not intelligent. It's again, random things coming together in good ways to make things work. I don't know. I, I just, I just, I can't get over the image of, uh, of human workers being shepherded into the, 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 the Tesla factory and a bunch of robots being handed their final payslips <laughs> and P45s and, and pushed out the back door and, and told to go and fend for themselves. Hey, the last issue <laughs> of the internal memo was, will humans take our jobs? Well, there you go. <laughs> but anyway, the article is talking about, yeah, welcome to hyperautomation as if it is here already today. And that's where I'm taking issue with the article, because as I said, is it something to look forward to? Probably it's improving things. ML improved things, even if it's not intelligent, still better than simple statistics. It's an improvement. Mm. Neural networks can be an improvement, not always. AI, once it's there, well, fun fact, I mean, KubeCon is happening next week and I just did my registration today because I'm going to be doing something there. And one of the, you have to put in your profile and another question was, uh, what is your position around AI? It's going to improve everything. It's going to generate a killer robot army. <laughs> Guess which one I, I put. 
uh, whatever. I'm guessing Killer Robot Army. But uh, fortunately, it's still quite far away, I think, because even with it blockchain would be a very, or quantum It would computing, be a very dumb Killer Robot Army right now. Uh, we should be able to win that one, I guess. Although, looking <laughs> at how we're fumbling with just a virus, I mean... Well, yeah, I think that's a whole different, a whole <laughs> different kettle of strawberries. But so the thing that I, I don't, I don't for once, I don't disagree with anything you've said actually, which is wow. both disturbing and surprising. Deep fake words. But I still, this is Dave. But I still come back to the thing that initially drew me to this article, which was the title, and I think that's BS, like the. It's it's not hyper automation, it's just automation. Okay, it's better, sure, but like automation engine is that better? <laughs> automation two dot I mean, it's, it's a word. I I get it. Like we're reading we're reading a uh, an article that has clearly done its job because we're we're reading it and we're talking about it. And so I don't necessarily expect, um, yeah, I don't expect reality from from these kind of articles. They're there to be all clickbaity and mm. grab your interest and get you to read them. But I just wish they wouldn't. <laughs> I, wish, I just wish they would would be able to. For me, at least, if you were trying to portray this more. Um, more reasonably or more sensibly, you'd be talking about, you know, automation being perhaps slightly a, a, a dumber method of it. And so you're talking about augmenting automation with ML elements to make it more efficient or better or... Yeah, but then you have to use that AIification word, which you hate. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we've seen, you know... The, there are there are places in our industries where this is reasonably commonplace. For example, uh, Airbus and uh, Boeing, for probably the best part of four or five years at this point, in fact, probably significantly longer than that, have been using um, machine learning and automation in their factories to do things like check the uh, penetration of welds and things like that in airframes and uh, airframe structures and they they have they have machines that just go and scan after the welds have been done also the welds are often also done by robots as well to make sure and they they understand what the and it's been a while now, so I don't remember any of the details, but they, they, they have a method of scanning the welds and I can't remember whether it's x-ray or it's IR I think. Yeah, or it could be something like that. It's, it's an image. Yeah, they have a, a method of scanning and they know what a good world looks like and what a bad world looks like. And it's much more complex than that, believe me. But they, it, it it's is a simple all, image recognition thing. I mean, relatively, yeah. But it's that to me is if you wanted to brand, if you really were desperate to brand it. Like that would fit to me into this categorization of uh, hyper I so. automation. I don't think so. Surely, because it's machine learning. Yes, but it's machine learning doing the same thing all the time. Right. The hyper automation is more that your automation changes to respond to new situations. Let's say you have a car assembly line, the car falls off the tray of the of the of the, of the, the thing. 
then your O robot, instead of doing the weld, will pick up the frame, put it back on. Because it recognized it fell off and it needs to put it back on. It's more in that vein. And that's, so, that requires so, creativity. So to your point then, if if a if the robot detected that the weld had not fully penetrated, and then it said, Oi, robot weldy friend, come and re-weld this, that to you would then be hyper automation? Uh, it would come closer if indeed the one robot would be able to order the second robot to do it, but based on more than an if then else. And what yeah. you're describing is basically an if then else. If image recognition says true, bad well, no, 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 do, no. Do it, this. It, it would have to be more complicated than that because you can't just weld over the same way that you did previously. You just blow out the material. So you'd have okay. to have that would a, a different one. approach. Yeah. Okay. If it's a failed weld and you can't just cut it off and make a new one, but you have to maybe, in some cases, change a new panel or change the, the bolt or whatever, that would need decision making algorithms. And at that point, you would get into this uh, hyper automation. Yeah, I would agree with that. Hmm. Interesting. The thing I hate about the title is actually the word dead. Because <laughs> it's not because something That's new comes along that the old thing has to go away. Machine learning is no, here. It does. You still it need does. to count I'm one sorry, plus one is two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Jan. Um, now that we've uh, now that we've put robots out there, uh, all humans have to die, and that's why we need the killer robot army. You see, that's how it works. Okay, they didn't really follow that logic, <laughs> if any logic was applied at all there. But uh, I we did... all know that, that logic is clearly overrated at this point. You know, uh, it's not yeah, but we have this hyper logic now, and logic is there. <laughs> Oh, God. And on that note, it's still Friday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else from you, Jan? No, it's time for weekend. That's what I say. Fair enough. Well, in that case, that is all the hyper time we have for Hyper today. You can support this Hyper podcast by becoming a Hyper Patreon. Every, every Hyper contribution really helps. We are on Hyper YouTube. You can Hyper like, Hyper subscribe, and hit the Hyper notification bell and all the Hyper YouTube things. Please go to www.hyperroaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon, sorry, our Hyper Patreon page, and for more information about the Hyper podcast. You can follow us on Hyper Twitter using the at hyperroaringelephant tag and send your Hyper feedback to hyperpodcast at roaring, at, sorry, hyperroaringelephant.org. <laughs> Until next time, my name is Hyper Dave. And my name is Where is that tranquilizer gun, Jon? <laughs> and we look forward to talking to you next Hyper Week. Good Hyper Bye, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> why? Just why? <laughs> I have no answers for you. I have no answers for you. It's been a very long week. Uh, there's a good news for you then. There's a new week, week starting in a couple of days. No, that, that can't be true. <laughs> <laughs>